passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. What's going on, y'all? Happy Friday. Hope you guys are enjoying. Uh, I hope you guys had a great week. And welcome to another episode of the Believe in Rugby podcast show on the Believe Podcast Network, which is the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? This podcast is available on your favorite directories on all of them. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com, at Believe in Rugby on Instagram, and at Believe Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Today, we have a unique guest, uh, and uh, Matt Perkins. Uh, Matt is somebody that I do not know uh, personally, but you know he reached out to me to come on the show and is a filmmaking instructor, audio engineer, and podcast producer who lives and works in Nashville, Tennessee. And on top of all that, Matt played rugby for over a decade as a member of the University of Wisconsin Badgers, the Poco Blinn Reds of Australia, and the Santa Monica Dolphins of California. So on this episode, Matt's going to take us throughout um, through his journey and a few of his pretty cool rugby stories. And um, he's been pretty much all around the world, so he's going to tell us all about that. And it's actually a lot more than I anticipated. Uh, I didn't expect our, our uh, conversation just because I didn't know who he was to be as good as it was. And he's just he's a pretty cool dude that, um, that definitely has a rugby journey that... Um, that should be shared. So, enjoy. Yeah. So, how did you get introduced to the game of rugby? So, I got introduced to the game of rugby my freshman year of college. I was on the Wisconsin track and field team my freshman year. I was a thrower. Um, when I was in high school, I'd been a state champion in the shot put, the discus, and the hammer. And I was like really gung-ho about being a D1 track athlete. Um, and so I, I walked onto Wisconsin. I made the team my freshman year. I, I was like, you know, I'm doing awesome. This is great. And then about halfway through the spring semester, um, they had a football player who wanted to do track instead. And they're like, well, sorry, you were the last man to make the team. So you're going to be the first one cut. Um, to be fair, like he was like this guy named Chris Presley. He was like way better than I was in high school when it, especially when it came to the shop, but so I didn't really blame them for that. So I had all of this like pent up anger about being cut from the track team. And I, you know, I'd played high school football and I just grew up doing every sport imaginable track, baseball, football, basketball, and I needed to do something. So I had, when I was growing up, I lived in Denmark for a while and 
so I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of different sports and rugby was one of the sports that I was exposed to. I was like, Hey, I'll give that a shot. That sounds like fun. So I went out and I fell in love with the game, probably my first practice. And I was like, Holy crap, this is so much fun. Like I get to run around and hit people and just like have an absolute blast. And the group of guys at Wisconsin was uh, really, really great. We had some guys who really took me under their wing like my freshman year when I had no idea what I was doing. Like my first practice I ever went to, we had an indoor football training facility that we would use, uh, that the rugby team got to use at, like we would, we would have practice at like from 10 to midnight because that was the only time we could get the actual indoor facility. Because in, in Wisconsin in the winter, you don't want to be playing outside. It's right. not pleasant. So we were in the indoor football facility. And so we go down and we're doing just like a light scrimmage in my first practice. I don't know any of the rules of rugby whatsoever. I have no idea what I'm doing. So uh, there's a ruck scrum half, you know, gets the ball out. I come around. I played offensive line in high school. I come out like a pulling guard and I blow up a guy who's about to tackle the runner, which, you know, clearly, <laughs> clearly that's a problem. Um, and uh, but coach like, what the hell? What the hell are you doing, Perkins? Come on now. And I was like, I'm just blocking him. He's like, you can't block. This is rugby. I, I, I wasn't paying attention. I had no idea what I, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But, you know, I was really fortunate. We had a coach named Skip Heffernan who had been in the game for 40 years. He had played at Texas A&M when he was in school and he had been involved in and around rugby forever. And he did a really good job of, fostering a love for the sport for all the guys on our team and no matter what your rugby background was if you've been playing since you were since you were four or if you just you know decide to play rugby that morning for the first time he was going to bring you in and give you training and was going to be patient with you I mean he always had like a really snarky joke and something like that but he would really just take the time to get to know all the guys on the squad. And I was really fortunate that he became more than just a coach, but a mentor for me while I was an undergrad. I had a similar, a, a similar experience with my coach, Bruce McLean, who was just open to everybody and always communicating with all the players, whether they're B side or A side, you know, he always, you know, shot you a text, made sure you were all right. And he's one of the reasons that I kept up with the game. So I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. having a good coach in rugby can go a long way. Oh, it, it made a giant difference for me. I had, we had three really amazing coaches. Skip was our head coach. Uh, we had a woman named Lisa who was our backs coach. She had been uh, an Eagle. She'd been capped at least 20, 30 times as uh, as a winger in a scrum half. And she was amazing. I actually, my, uh, I, I was in, I was in pretty good shape after new, being on the track team for a year. And I was, you know, feel myself a little bit. I was always a bigger guy, but I always thought I was a small guy. So I tried to play fullback a little bit during my, my, my first year. And Lisa took me aside and she, she, she was kind about it, but she's like, Matt, you know, uh, a fullback really shouldn't be like three times the size of the other team's fullback. It just doesn't make sense. So, cause guys would just run around me all the time. I, I you know, I, I thought I was fast. I was not fast at all. So, uh, but I, I quickly moved to being a forward and uh, I, just found a home uh, playing in the second row, especially. Um, I moved around a little bit. I would play second row and I played a fair bit of tight head prop when I was uh, an undergrad. And that was, that was really cool. I, you know, I, I got to experience all the different forward positions besides hooker, 
but I, I really found a love at second row, just being in the engine room. And I loved scrummaging. We were a team that we tried to sort of emulate the Argentinian scrum. And so we would really try to push through the hooker. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that gave us a real advantage because we had a pretty heavy pack to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that gave us a real advantage because we had a pretty heavy pack to begin with. And we were able to use that to our own advantage and really dominate in scrums in for a lot of the teams that we played against. I mean, we, yeah, we were really up and down uh, the couple of years, the, the four years that I played. I mean, my f sophomore year, I think we were something like one in eight or one in nine. We were, we had a really, really rough year, mm -hmm. but then during the spring semester of my sophomore year was the time that I went from like really loving the game of rugby to just like playing to loving like the sport as a whole, because our team went on tour to Italy my for spring break during my sophomore year of college it was 2006 and i we went we took about 25 30 guys on tour to italy and we played two games in milan uh two games outside of venice in a small town called monsalice and then another game uh in rome and then we got to go to a uh, we got to go see Italy versus Scotland in Ro the Rome's Olympic Stadium. Wow. And that was just that whole experience of going to like, you know, that was my first really big rugby match. And we went as a team. We're all there just in the stadium having a blast. And that's when I realized that rugby was something that was not just going to be like something I played with my friends, but something that became a real part of my, you know, everyday life, my everyday being. Mm -hmm. How is rugby is rugby still a part of your life today? So unfortunately, I had two pretty bad injuries back in 2014, which is my last season. And so I started playing about 2004. I played through, 2000, through 2014. And I got a pretty severe concussion. And then I also uh, got a um, herniated disc in my neck and had to have a discectomy infusion. So then I, so now I have a titanium plate with four screws in my neck. And that put an end to my playing career with that, um, because if I got hit the wrong way, it could come out, sever my spinal cord, and I really don't want that to happen. So, um, so yeah, that, that was my last season. I, uh, I, I, got, I got a concussion because I made the poor decision to try to tackle a 350-pound Samoan prop with a full head of steam and that that just did not work out for me <laughs> very well um we were playing against uh, i think it was belmont shore um when i was playing for santa monica and you know it was uh you know it was just you know average you know saturday afternoon in, in california we had uh i played for santa monica for five years and i I just, I, well, I, I remember being on the field and trying to tackle him, but then I remember waking up. I remember nothing in between. Mm. So how did you manage to transition from playing at Wisconsin to playing at Santa Monica? So during my, so I took a fifth year, or I prefer to call it a victory lap as an undergrad. But during my fifth year, um, actually during my fourth year, uh, we, we got a new coach named, or we got a, a new assistant coach named Ross Hopkins, who came over from Australia as to be our designated forwards coach. And I grew a, a really strong bond with him pretty soon after, after he got to campus. Um, Roscoe and I just clicked. It's like we were, it's like he was like the uncle that I never knew I had. 
And after I, gra- I actually graduated in December of my, of my victory lap and Ross through a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing, hooked me up with a team in Australia. And I, as an undergrad, I had also studied abroad in France. I studied winemaking and I'd work for a wine distributor, a wine and liquor distributor as an undergrad to pay my way through school. And so he found Ross, one of Ross's friends knew a guy who needed a guy to be someone to be a vineyard manager and play for their local team that was sponsored by the vineyard called Picolbin. And so this is in country, New South Wales, about three hours north, northwest of Sydney. Mm. And uh, so on sort of on a, on, a, on a wing and a prayer, I packed up my stuff after I graduated. I flew to Australia with kind of no idea what I was doing. And I, I land in Sydney, I rent a car, I drive an hour and a half in the wrong direction first. I have no idea where I'm going. I finally end up getting up to this tiny, tiny little town called Nolkaba, which is in the middle of nowhere in the Hunter Valley in Australia. And the Hunter Valley is like the oldest winemaking region. A lot of like Sydney ciders will come up for a weekend for either like a bachelor party, bachelorette party. There's a lot of little vineyards up there and like spas and little things to do like that. But they have a, you know, a a, a pretty good rugby side, the Colburn Reds. And I played a year for the Reds and it was really great. We had um, our, we had a player coach named Luke, Luke Kermode who, I, I ended up, I was actually living with his now wife at the time. Uh, she was my, uh, she was my housemate slash landlord. And uh, we had, um, and I learned just a completely different style of play. At Wisconsin, we were big and hulking and we, you know, a, a rolling mall was one of our, you know, was one of our typical strategies, right? We were just bigger than other teams. And so we would try to take advantage of that. Right. Go, go there and you know I don't think in the first practice I saw the ball kicked you know in play more times than I had in four years of playing collegiate rugby because these guys grow up you know just kicking a rugby ball is something that's natural it's not something that's natural for Americans mm-hmm. let's face it and so it was running around a whole lot more I had no idea what I was in for um, also you know this is on, I don't want to say the edge of the outback, but it's getting pretty close. It gets hot there. Like my first day there was about 120 degrees at, at the peak of the day. And so I'm, I'm running around, I'm sweating my, you know, what's off. And I lost, I lost a bunch of weight playing there. I ended up playing a lot of flanker in number eight for them, which was, which was really cool. Um, I dropped down when I got there, I was probably about 240 pounds. By the time I left, I was like 205. And so I, which is really great for me personally, because I was, I was able to move around a lot more. Yeah. I lost some muscle mass. And so I, you know, I wasn't as sturdy in, in tackling stuff like that, but I was able to run a lot more. I probably went from running like maybe two and a half and three miles a game to running closer to six miles a game. Mm. So it was, that was really good for me. And I just had to learn a completely different style of playing rugby. And that was, that was really beneficial. And so then when I moved back to the U S a year later, I, uh, that's why that was the 2009 season I was playing in Australia. And then I moved uh, back to the U S at the end of 2009 In 2010, I moved out to LA to go to grad school at UCLA. And I knew like I had to play, like I, I, I uh, you know, Rugby was in my blood at this point, and I couldn't not play. So uh, I reached out to Santa Monica, and they said, you know, 
come on over, start practicing with us. I started playing with them. Uh, I played a couple games for the third side and then ended up playing most of my time for the second side. Um, I had a couple first team caps while I was there, but you know, Santa Monica was, this was in the days before what is now the Pacific Rugby Premiership. But um, my final season was their first year in the, in the PRP. That was the first year of the PRP. Mm-hmm. But we were playing, you know, really great teams from all over the country. You know, Belmont Shore, which is down south of LA, is one of the top teams in the country. We're playing teams from, you know, Golden Gate and Dallas and Denver and Utah and uh, Washington State and San Diego. And it was a really, really high level of rugby, and, you know. And I'm out on the field with guys who've been capped for South Africa, guys who've been capped as all blacks, guys who've been, who've played for the Wallabies. And again, it was just another, it was sort of like a hybrid between the American uh, collegiate version that I'd played and that this wide open sort of Australian style. And it was, it was a real cool amalgam because we had guys from, it was the most international team, the most international group I was part of. I think in, in our, in our 22, we represented 14 different countries for one of the matches I played in. Wow. So um, we had a we, we had a really good camaraderie. Again, I had a couple really really great coaches while I was there. Um, there, Bobby Hacker, who was our assistant coach and our and, and he was our backs coach, but Bobby and I again, like Bobby was like like Skip for me, uh, who was my college coach. Bobby and then uh, Doug Benseman, uh, who was our head coach. Those two guys really helped me grow even more my love of the game uh, because of Bobby. I started coaching uh, seventh and eighth grade rugby out in Santa Monica while I was still in grad school. And I had, that was a really rewarding experience to be able to work with younger players, like seventh, eighth, ninth graders. Yeah. Um, because, you know, uh, Santa Monica has uh, U8s or U10s, I think now. And so I, so I was coaching there. I was helping coach the U14s and it was, that was really cool to be able to give back. And, awesome. you know, and so then I moved to Nashville a couple of years ago and um, I've been really trying to get back into coaching. Um, but I've reached out to a couple of local clubs and haven't heard anything. So if you got, if any of the Nashville area teams need a, a volunteer assistant coach, hit me up, I'm available. Um, and I'm also, you know, I've also toyed with the idea of becoming a sir. Oh, that, that referee. Yeah. 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 Becoming a referee. Wow. That's awesome. What would you say was your uh, favorite experience or most memorable experience um, between playing in Wisconsin, um, your time in Australia, and in Santa Monica? I'm going to go with two. At Wisconsin, it was going on tour to Italy. That was just, again, we went and we played these Italian teams that were really solid. I think we were like one and four in our tour. Like We, we, we played awful, but we had... At the after matches, I felt like I was just one of their brothers. They made us feel so warm and invited. And I think that's, for me, all of my best rugby memories are rarely from the field. They Mm -hmm. are all from the camaraderie I had with the guys that I played with. And I, you know, from my, uh, from my collegiate rugby team, like, uh, half of my groomsmen were guys I played rugby with when I got married a couple of years ago. Three of my six groomsmen were guys I played rugby with. And it's because of those bonds and those relationships that we form, not necessarily on the field, but off the field, spending time with each other, 
I, you know, I definitely enjoyed the, after, uh, the post-match drink ups, probably a little bit too much, but that's, again, that was for me, I, I don't say I came from like a sheltered childhood, but I was very much a very straight edge, straight laced kid when I was growing up. And it allowed me to sort of relax a little bit, not take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the best things for me. Um, I made, I made friends with people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, met people from other walks of life I wouldn't have met otherwise. And it's been, it's, you know, it, it was, it was great. And then I'd say for, so that was my biggest, um, so college, I'd say yes, going to Italy, but also just like the relationships I built. And then um, playing for Santa Monica, um, we beat Belmont Shore in my first, first side cap. And that they wow. were the number one team in the country at this point. We were both undefeated coming into it. I think it was 2012 or 2013. And it was the most euphoric feeling. Now, to be fair, we kind of had to ace up our hole. We had a guy who'd been capped as, um, as a fly half for, uh, for the All Blacks. Nice. He was just an absolute, uh, three days after he, after we beat, after we beat Belmont Shore, he signed a pro, pro contract in Japan. So we lost him a little bit of our season went downhill after that, but we were, it, it was such a, an emotional victory, especially also because a guy who had been our assistant captain the year before left our club to go to Belmont Shore and to sort of to beat him and to beat Belmont Shore, which was our biggest rival and, you know, a team that was better us at that than us at that point was I never felt so proud of a team that I was a part of. Like I had been a part of state championship football teams in mm -hmm. high school. I've been part of a lot of different sports team, but that one moment, even though it's just like a regular season game, the uh, the camaraderie and the love that I felt during that time was something that has always stayed with me no matter what. And it's actually, it, it, it's a little bit bittersweet because I remember that, I remember that entire day very well. I played 80 minutes of the second side match and then was uh, a sub for the last 15 wow. minutes or so of the first side match. And I played a ton of rugby that day, but one of the guys that I, I played with um, recently recently passed away of a very sudden heart attack at age 32, 33. Um, this is just two weeks ago. And I was going through pictures and, you know, people were, you know, un, you know, posting their condolences and stuff like that online. And a lot of the, you know, the pictures of, were of Phil, his name is Phil Osborne. He was just a wonderful, wonderful person. And all people are posting these pictures online and a lot of them are coming from that exact same time space. And I saw one from that day and it made me sort of tear up and well up. I mean, Phil was like, Phil was not ever like my best friend, but he was a guy I played rugby with. He's a guy I cared about. And I, you know, seeing those pictures sort of brought back a lot of these different memories, which was actually one of the reasons I, I, I reached out to you to talk to you. I was like, cause I wanted to sort of, you know, talk about that and it was um you know because i still have all of those all those memories are still very sacred to me and it is you know in but especially that that one day beating belmont shore was just such a euphoric moment for me and i was you know like i said like never so proud to be a part of a That's, team as i had been that day i love that that story how you played 80 minutes in that second side uh game and then got subbed on for 15 minutes in the game you knocked him off. Yeah. 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 For the end of the game. And it was, it was, like I said, it was my first, first team cap, um, which was again, a really big day for me personally, because, you know, I was never 
by any means the best player on any team I played on. I was never a star. Um, and, but I also never felt one of the cool things about rugby that I, I thought was pretty amazing that I was fortunate that all the teams I played for Wisconsin for Colbin and Santa Monica, it didn't matter if you were the first team captain or the last guy coming off the bench on the third side or at Santa Monica, we even had a fourth side and it did not matter because everyone was treated with the same amount of respect and care and you know everyone knew that they mattered to the team because the team is more than just the 15 guys on the pitch for the first side the team is everyone that's involved in the entire club and when you have a club that goes down to u8s and u10s and stuff like that men's and women's and old boys and stuff like that you really get to see you, you get to see a community that you know supports each other and cares about each other and santa monica was a what, what was a real second family for me too, because I moved out to LA again, I was like 24 at the time, moved out to LA by myself, didn't know anyone, joined Santa Monica and made some of my closest friends there as well. And just always felt loved and supported. And they all, and Santa Monica, especially, like I said before, my coach Bobby Hacker helped me grow, not as a, just a rugby player, but as a man, he just sort of, you know, he would just, you know, have me over just for dinner and to chat and to just to sort of talk about life. And it was, again, these, these relationships that were built in rugby, but grew beyond the pitch. Mm -hmm. And that confidence that you had to move out to Santa Monica, you know, not really knowing what your future was going to be. You kind of did that twice before you moved into Australia. Mm -hmm. Where does that, where did that confidence come from to make those moves? So I think that comes from the fact that I grew up moving a fair bit. When I was growing up, uh, I was born in Vermont, but we moved to upstate New York. Then we moved to Denmark. Then we moved back to upstate New York. Then we moved to New Hampshire. Then we moved back to Vermont. Then we moved back to New Hampshire. And I was also fortunate that I got to travel a lot. You know, by the time I was in college, I'd already visited 25 foreign countries. Mm. And uh, I always just, I always loved to travel. Um, I'm also... I'm also an only child. And so I've always been pretty self-sufficient when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, um, but I, I always thought, you know, I, I, you know, my parents live in New Hampshire, they still live in New Hampshire. And one of the reasons I chose to go to Wisconsin was because it was kind of far away and it was going to push me a little bit more. You know, I could have been like most of my friends, most of the people I went to high school with, go to college, go to a small college in New England and be sort of taken care of. But I, mm -hmm. I always wanted to push myself a little bit more. And so like going to Wisconsin, Wisconsin is a school with 42,000 students. That's more than the entire like area, which encompasses like 10, 15 counties of where I'm from. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, that just sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I, I know I needed to be pushed outside of my comfort zone, but rugby Rugby especially gave, sort of gave me the confidence and something to fall back on and knew that I would have a group of people who would sort of care about me and have my back from, from the jump. And so like, I would definitely never have moved to Australia if I would not have been involved with a rugby team mm -hmm. from the get-go. There, there was no chance I would have done that. Um, and actually playing rugby improved my performance as a grad student. My, my performance as a grad student actually dipped after my rugby career ended. Rugby really helped give me 
both like the regimentation, like, you know, I knew that we were going to train every Tuesday and Thursday from seven to 10 PM. I knew we were going to have matches all day, every Saturday. So it actually made me focus the time that I wasn't playing rugby on my studies a little bit more and not just let things sort of go in the wind. It actually helped me really make my schedule something that I could um, take control of. And my grades, you know, my grades improved. I got a the entire time I was, you know, in grad school playing rugby at a 4-0. After that, I, my grades started to drop. So I think that uh, rugby definitely gave me that, dis- helped give me the discipline mm-hmm. and also helped me blow off steam. Grad school, I was in a master's and a PhD program in cinema and media studies at UCLA. And I was, it's tough. It was a really tough program. It's one of the top programs in the world and it's competitive and rugby also helped me blow off some steam. Um, when, especially when I would get really like worked up or anxious about papers and presentations and things like that, what I would end up, you know, just going and practicing and being around those guys, going to, to a game, being around the guys, and then, you know, going to, you know, the aftermatch, um, always just sort of like calm me and help me get recentered. Mm-hmm. And one of and also physically, I think, I mean, obviously it helped, you know, my mind getting out all the, the endorphins and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. physically, like one of, one of my favorite feelings is after a long day of playing rugby and you've got some, a little bit of aches and pains, just like standing in the shower and seeing all of like the mud, like drip off of you. It's actually a really rewarding feeling. Right. <laughs> and that would always be like, you know, I always felt so, even if we lost, um, I always knew two things. One, that I always left everything I had on the field and that I gave my, you know, I, I gave all my effort. And so I couldn't like hang my head, even if we, even if we lost, even if it was my fault that we lost. Cause I, you know, had a knock on at a really inopportune moment or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was always a thing where I felt good about myself after I played because I had played and I had given my all. Yeah. Yeah, for me, seeing like the bruises after after a match the next day, it's like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, that was the rugby game yesterday. That was, yeah, yeah that's for awesome. Sure. Um, for sure. Wow. So you mentioned what you know a few things that you learned from rugby, like time management and and mm-hmm. just physically how it helped you. Mm-hmm. What would be the yeah. one takeaway, the biggest takeaway from playing rugby? Um, I mean, it always, for me, goes back to the camaraderie, mm-hmm. um, and the relationships I built with my teammates and coaches, because like I said, like I, when I was an undergrad, I was a little bit lost, especially after I got cut from the track team. I found an amazing mentor in my coach, Skip Heffernan. Uh, he helped me grow, not just as a rugby player, but as a person and take on some like leadership and responsibility roles in the club. I was you know, at different times, I was the the, secret, the treasurer secretary. I was the, uh, you know, I, I was the vice president of our club, the University of Wisconsin Rugby Club. I was the, you know, equipment manager, field manager, stuff like that, you know, taking on those roles to support the club. Um, and it, you know, it helped me take responsibility and also have accountability and rugby helped me just really realize that I could actually be someone who is 
a leader in one way, shape or form. I always thought of myself as just someone who is kind of like, I always kind of wanted to just blend in, but being part of a rugby club made me feel like really good about the, really good about the things I was doing, even if I wasn't the superstar player. Cause I always thought it had to be, you know, the superstar player, the best guy on the team that had to be the leader. But one of the things that rugby helped me realize is that like everyone who's part of a club, everyone who's part of a station can be part of an organization can be a leader in their own way, shape or form. And it, you know, we became a, uh, the sum greater the, our whole was greater than the sum of the parts because people had that accountability and respected one another and had, you know, we're taking on those leadership roles. You know, I was lucky that my, like I said, I was on the track team my freshman year. Um, and I met a guy named Ben Cornfield, who is still one of my best friends to this day, Ben. And I both got, you know, Ben was cut earlier than from the track team than me. And I got him to come play rugby with me. And for both of us, that was, a, a thing that we were roommates in college for a couple of years and we ended up being uh, rugby was the thing that really sort of helped our relationship go from like a friendship to like a lifelong bond because we we traveled together went to Italy together we went on all these road games together we you know we stayed together every time we went uh, to an away game or on tour and just building those relationships and some of those like some of my most memorable things from college aren't even the games but like the bus rides to away games mm-hmm. and you know, or even at Santa Monica, like we went down, I remember one time we went down and played one of the clubs in San Diego. I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head. The bus ride back from San Diego to Santa Monica, the, you know, the, the end of three hours that we ended up taking were some of like the most memorable three hours because we were elated. We won. It was a really big victory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the alcohol might have been flowing a little bit. And we had, you know, just a, a really memorable time. Um, I also, one of the things that got I wouldn't say got me like even more into rugby when I was uh when I first started out but was those aftermatch experiences and all the different songs um all the different songs that you would sing when people were drinking and eating and stuff like that and you know I have a bit of an irreverent sense of humor and it it really went hand in hand with that so I you know I I I took it upon myself to be the song master when I was an undergrad at Wisconsin and I prided myself on knowing like every single rugby song. So I, I probably know the, the lyrics, like 20, 30, 40 different ones that, you know, are, are sung all around the world. And that was another cool thing, being able to play in Italy, being able to play in Australia, um, was seeing all of the different traditions and celebrations, things like that, that would happen at the aftermatches. And uh, that was, again, that was another just really cool thing that I was able to bond with people from different cultures and different backgrounds over something really as silly as a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant to ask you about that. Was it like um, the experiences in the aftermatches in Italy, were they different than in the US? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a lot more wine instead of beer, first of all. Um, secondly, like we got there and they had, I remember the first one we went to, we played, um, uh, we played a team called AS Milano. It was the first match we played in Italy. I remember because hey, they were like way better than us. So they put one of their props out on the wing and I tried to tackle and I, I th- this prop was maybe like five foot four, 330 pounds. Like he was just short and squat and wide. Like he was definitely as wide as he was tall. He was a brick house. And I tried to tackle him and I bounced right off of him at, at, at one point. But in the aftermatch, we go to their clubhouse and hey, they have this giant spread of like meats and cheeses and like, fancy breads and stuff like that 
And like they, then they, they sat us down and served us a four course dinner. No way. Yeah. It was so cool. It was so cool. They had all this like just amazing house wine. They're giving us gifts. We're trading like shirts for scarves and stuff like that. I still have, I got an AS Milano tie that has their mascot was like a horse. It's like a horse, they have a, like a horse holding a rugby ball. Mm. And it's like, I have, I still have it. I wear it to work. Sometimes I have this AS rugby ball on a tie that I wear. I've got the scarf and stuff like that. And you know, a lot of those guys didn't speak English. It didn't matter. It did not matter at all. They would sing some weird song in Italian. Everyone would be, you know, we figure out when to drink when they're doing that. We would sing our, you know, sing our Yogi Bear song or whatever. And then, you know, and, and then they would do something and everyone, everyone there was like, we were, it's like we were family. It's like they had known us for like 30 years, even though, you know, we were a bunch of, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old college kids. It just like, it was like, we were just one of them from, from the get go. And everywhere I traveled, I was really fortunate. Everywhere I traveled as a rugby player, I felt welcomed. Even, even times in Australia, because even times in Australia where there was some, strangely strong anti-American sentiment because I played rugby. I felt like, you know, uh, they were like, Oh, like you, you might be American, but you play rugby and you know, you clearly get it. So right. I felt welcomed and it was rugby for me. It always felt very welcoming. And one of the other things that um, was really cool is that it's at Santa Monica, we had the men's team and the, and the women's side have a really good relationship with each other. Um, and so we went out and supported our women's team. The women would come out and support our team. And, uh, we, you know, I made some really good, you know, friendships and built some good relationships with the, you know, w with a lot of the players on the women's team. And that was another really cool thing, uh, for us to help sort of like see the game grow for each other, um, and help, you know, help each other's parts of the club grow together doing you know fundraisers and things like that man i mean you do have an amazing story and i just want to thank you for taking the time out to do this uh i mean it was it was a pleasure listening to everything that you experienced honestly colby thank you so much uh i really love doing this so um yeah um and we will go ahead and we will talk soon That wraps up this week's episode of the Believe in Rugby podcast show. Matt was actually the first person to reach out to me whom I didn't know to come on the show. So shout out to Matt for helping me achieve that milestone. If you are enjoying the show so far and would like to support it, please subscribe and also rate five stars if you believe that I deserve it. I'm also loving the direction that the show is taking and I hope that you you all are able to take some things away from these different rugby stories to apply them into your lives or into your careers. So with that being said, thank you again for tuning in and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e 
AV on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.